0: This is Alex Massa, and you're listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Bob Nolly.
1: Yes, they are.
0: Live from the RVA, this is the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Dr. Bob Nolly. The program that brings you the leadership skills that can make you the most authentic, approachable leader for the sake of your business, your team, and for you. Now, now. here's Bob. Bob.
1: Yeah, thanks a bunch. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another bonus episode of the Labrador Leadership Podcast. Thank you all so much for finding your way here. We love talking to you. This is a really special event worthy of putting up a special episode for because it's Father's Day weekend. It's Father's Day weekend, and I couldn't be more proud than to have as our guest interview today my dad, Bob
0: Nolly. Bob Nolly, Jr. Dan, welcome to the program. Well, it's good to be here. It's a bit intimidating, though, uh, to be interviewed by an older son, which makes it a bit difficult. By the same token, the oldest child, who by his fourth grade had exceeded all of my competencies in mathematics, and uh, he <laughs> went on from there to to a superb career in the financial community, and then in academia, so you know the odds against me on this interview. <laughs> oh, your check's in the mail. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate
1: it. We're we're talking today not from Studio 17 in the RVA. We're talking today from a beautiful home in uh, Surf City, North Carolina, where to which you have retired... And are spending some wonderful days down here, and we're lucky enough to be able to come down here and visit you. And it, this is not a house on some beach road tucked away in the in the wind trees. This is on the ocean front where we can sit here and watch the waves roll in hour after hour, and we love that. So thanks for having us down. Well, it's good to have you here. Oh, well, thanks. So, but to get to this point, you of course are now retired, as I mentioned, but you work very hard very hard to provide for all of us for such a long career. And I just wanted to talk to you today a little bit about what that journey looked like. Now, you were in the service and you met mom down in Montgomery, Alabama, and you got married there. And, and when you came back to Richmond, you know, did it ever cross your mind to, to go somewhere else? I mean, another city, because you you visited other places,
0: but did you just come back to Richmond because it was home? Uh, yeah, you had that uh, uh life preserver mentality a bit coming back from those two years, not knowing what you were going to do in terms of employment, and with a new baby on the way. And that would have been me. So you saw a safe harbor. Yeah,
1: that that makes a lot of sense. So you come back home, and uh, and you're living. You know, you and mom are living with uh with your mom and dad, my grandparents for several months, but you started a job search then, and that year was like, you know, 54. Right. So what was that search like then? What were you looking for? What Did you have your eyes out for anything particular, or were you just looking for some a place to
0: work? Oh, no. I had always liked writing. In fact, as a 10-year-old and with a Hectograph machine, which few would know it except the duplication process was like a purple jelly laid on a flatbed printer and hand-cranked. And I even did a neighborhood newsletter uh, from Willoway Avenue. So, you know, somewhere in there, that gene got placed. Then I uh, I did some writing. uh, I guess first with the five W's of of the newsroom, uh, which I found an easy thing to do, and then it, it just went on from there. I managed the uh, college newspaper's managing editor, enjoyed it thoroughly, and uh, I guess uh, that's where the whole
1: process began. Yeah. Now, when I when I came out of school and I started. Uh, you you pointed me to the one ads in the paper because the internet was still well over the horizon at that point. And to look at and you start working the one ads that is back then, was that the approach you took?
0: Oh yeah. So uh-huh. what what was the first place you worked when you came back home? Uh the first place I worked was a management training program with one of the major banks. And after a month, a month and a half of that, I decided that the banking was not for me.
1: That's amazing because that's the start I got too. Yeah. Did that, did that strike you when I started with the bank that I started? Yeah, but you're you apparently
0: mean? liked it better than I did.
1: Oh. <laughs> I, I learned a lot there. I mean, my first time there, I was, you know, changing oil of the fleet of cars and, and working in the storeroom. So you found that banking was not quite to your liking. So how long were you there? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a month and a half. Okay. So, at this point, is is mom giving you the bejesus to find something or... No. Or no? Uh-uh. Okay. Uh-uh. All right. So, what was the next step?
0: Oh, the next step was somebody said I needed to talk to one of the people at the ESSO, which was the old Humble Oil Company. They had a management training program in Richmond, and they had a regional headquarters there. So, I did and got into that training program, and... uh that started you down in the cold of winter in the service area, squirting lube in cars. Or oh, down things. the pits in the floor. Oh, you in the pits and the floor, and the whole nine yards. And we had a manager at that station. It was it was all training at that station. And we had a manager at that station who was somewhat like a drill instructor from Paris Island, so. It was an interesting experience, but uh, when the first paycheck arrived, I noticed that it was uh, forty dollars less than what they had agreed to pay me. So I oh, went. Oh, and today back. that would be like four hundred, six hundred dollars. Oh, maybe less. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's the way. But it works he,
0: out. Uh, I went back to him. I said, "There's been an error made in my paycheck," and he goes back to personnel and checked, and he was the one that made the error because he. Uh, quoted the wrong salary to me in the beginning. Oh, so you took off from there. So I said, well, would it be fixed in the next paycheck? He said, no, we'll just have to live with it like it is. And I said, I'll be gone in 30 days. Thank you very much.
1: You know, later, when, as you moved on through your career, we lived over on uh, on Crestwood Avenue here in town. Uh, A regular hangout for you was you would go up to the uh, Esso station up there on Libby and Broad and... uh, what is more for a stop for gas, you were talking to the guys in there, and, you know, I have a feeling that was a fork in the road that you may have, you know, sorry you had to see like a... I don't recall. I've got a complete blank on that
0: when I shut the door door (laughs) on that one.
1: Well, the choices are good. So then you came to what was the longest
0: stop, I guess. Then I went to the newspapers. Yeah, okay. And there, uh, after having... This was about two years after having done the managing editor job at the college paper. And uh, they were looking for an editor of their headquarters magazine. So I figured, well, maybe I've got enough experience to work my way in the door on this one. So I called in, filed an application. They called me in, and they hired me. Great. And that must which have felt was like just great. Box, oh, that was that? wonderful. So it was a monthly magazine with a decent budget, and uh I did that for oh, i guess three three years. The department was a combination of public relations advertising and community relations, so all of the functions that were uh of the career path that were of interest uh it was going on that. So it was a, you know, from that standpoint, it was both a learning and an enjoyable process. The uh, the big stop for you was at the Life Insurance Company of Virginia. How did
1: that door open for you?
0: That's how we got that. <laughs> oh, that was
1: it. That now, was it, yeah. Who who was the person that gave you that first opportunity? Uh, a
0: gentleman oh. named John Morla, who had just returned from World War II having been an intelligence officer on the hour. Wow. And uh, he had uh, tried a job uh, with one of the field sales divisions, and it was not to his liking. So many companies at that point in time, Fortune 500s on down, were setting up a formal public relations or public affairs departments. For the most part, they would never existed in corporate America. Uh, This happened after World War II, and I can't tell you uh, what was the guiding factor. This was the advent of public relations bursting on the scene? Yeah. Wow. And uh, so he, he was a fine boss to work for. And so
1: he gave you the shot in there, and your responsibilities grew over the years.
0: Yeah, I was getting in on jobs within the department, which was a great learning process and I was able to do some junior level things in the community and community relations. So I was being moved along. I didn't have that sense I was at the time, but uh, postscript I was. So would would you call John his, and I recall as
1: a child having the opportunity to meet him now, even now I remember. Would you call him your mentor in those years? Yeah. You know, that's so important because we've talked a lot on the program about the importance of folks finding a coach, which is different than being a mentor, but being able to find a mentor who comes with that experience of, I know how to get things done, and more importantly, I know how to get things done in this organization, can really can really help you
0: with your career, and apparently that was the case with you and John. Well, don't discount the fact that you've got an obligation in that atmosphere to do things yourself. I remember taking the, uh, I was always interested in advertising as well as the editorial side, and I went at that point in time under John, his tutelage, I went my own way as well and went to the American Association of Advertising Agencies to take that battery of competency test that they offer to newcomers to the trade. So I guess my only point in describing this is while you have a mentor, Don't expect the mentor to be the whole learning process. You've got to get out and mix in with that your own aggressive approach to where you want your career to go. And I think an interesting part of that is
1: you, even though you spent almost all of your career with them, a few years in, you left them and went somewhere else to get a little bit more broader
0: experience. Is that right? Yeah, I wasn't getting a heck of a lot of advertising experience, hands-on with the advertising agencies. And so uh, I got a phone call that the uh, CF Sour Company, then the uh, international distributor of uh, spices and extracts, as well as Duke's mayonnaise and uh, cooking oils and things. The president of the company, Connie Sour, called me and said he was looking for an advertising director. And would I come run the show? Wow. So I did. And uh, I stayed there two years, uh, two and a half years. And then John Moeller called me one day and said, can we get back for lunch maybe? And I said, sure. So I went back. He said, we need you back here and here's what I'll do. So I went back to Life Church Company, Virginia, uh, as a result of... uh, money being waived sure well and getting that phone call and making that change
1: did the place look different when you came back
0: no uh-oh everything was about
1: to say oh it's good and you ended up being there in the end for about 30 years yeah you know and i i had grown to the point where i was uh i had, was in college at that point well well all through that time and not so much that time at the end when the merger was going on but when you were in the in the heyday i'll just call it. of of uh of the life insurance company in virginia I, one thing i remember was that i was constantly surrounded by lots of folks that you worked with your colleagues but not just them alone but their wives and their families and it wasn't just because i think you all worked together so much but you all seemed to be the same age and you know all of us as children were within you know plus or minus a couple of years you know they all the families there but you all were always gathering together. And I just remember them being generally really happy times. And I had some huge laughs. Think about people, you know, that I'll just let go unnamed here. But, you know, I don't think that happens anymore today.
0: Uh, it was interesting. I guess in part, the chemistry occurred by the fact that there were a number of us hired, uh, some immediately after World War II as the number two young men in nearly every department in the company. And as a consequence, we were compatible age groups with same objectives and and same sets of problems. And that emerged from a business relationship to a friendship. And that's how it all happened. That, I mean, and those folks are just great. I could, cause you mentioned functional titles.
1: I could have mentioned folks in that group that were underwriters and salesmen and medical officers and the like. And, you know, they were just the finest of people. And whereas you certainly have been one of the most huge mental models that a child could have growing up, you know, just being exposed to those people and knowing their families and their children was, was something that. You know, honestly, it just it doesn't happen a lot today. It does not happen a lot today.
0: Well, it was a different world, a different time. One of the individuals who we were very close to had landed uh, at Omaha Beach, right, right, in Normandy, and the kids were always uh, showing off this huge football-sized loss of muscle and tissue in his left leg from fragments of the beach landing. So, you know, there was a perspective of the whole world that was rather dramatically changing at that time.
1: You know, one piece we've missed here is uh, you served also, uh, coming out of the service, you were in the Air Force Reserve for a, a huge period. And, and as you had got to the rank of colonel there and did communications work with them, if I'm not mistaken. And that allowed you to, you know, to send us
0: all to college. Well, I don't know. I had never thought about it in those terms. I finished up at the Virginia Military Institute. Of course, they handed us our orders during the Korean War the day before they gave us a diploma. So we knew where we were going at that point in time. So we headed out to do our two or three years that were contractual commitments, and then we had to make the judgment as to whether we were going to remain in the service or to go back to civilian life. And, uh, I was in a bit of a dilemma having had that military background. The the air force was an interesting issue at that time. And, uh, we decided, no, that was not the right thing to go. If we wanted to come back, we could always come back, but go out and taste civilian life for a while in the real world. And so we did. And, uh, no regrets to that, but I stayed in the reserves, which gave me the best of both worlds, and ended up, oh, I don't know, 28 or 30 years, and I ended up in Washington uh, for the last 15 years with one of the Air Force Major Air Commands, which was the research and development component of the Air Force. Fascinating people to work with. My boss was Mike Collins, the astronaut from the Apollo Oh, that's program.
1: right. That's right. <sighs> so when uh when you graduated from the virginia military institute vmi and they hold the scoring record for the uh, ge college bowl when they was on TV yeah they did they beat harvard yeah they beat harvard that was that was really something but vmi has always been part of our household life as well so when i was in high school and told you that i I didn't plan to go there you know i really have always respected you and, and in years after that by letting me make the choice I made instead of going, no, you're going to have to go there. Because that really wasn't a fit for me. Did you ever feel badly about that? Yeah,
0: it was a disappointment to me because I was greedily going to relive the experience through the eyes of a son. And yet I was dragged by the fact that I'd seen too many cases of overzealous fathers who had made their children go and with uh, not the best of results from it all. So I made the decision early on; I'd give you guys all the exposure, but I wouldn't force the issue. Well, I I appreciate that to this day. So
1: if you uh, if you were mentoring now uh, an MBA at age twenty three or so, coming straight out of college, what's your words of advice for them?
0: Uh go to work for two years before you MBA. Oh, that's good. And. Uh, There's a lot of interning going on now. And Choose Well. And what does Choosing Well look like? Choosing Well looks like sorting out what you would set as a bucket list for areas and then hoping you can find one of those to work in for two years with what is essentially a, a business environment today that makes it awfully tough for the bachelor holding degree holder to begin his path in the process. That's, that's sage advice. So we talked a lot about
1: the path of your career from the very beginning and when you and mom got married all the way up to the time of your retirement that leads to us sitting here at the beach right now talking about uh, talking about leadership. In retrospect, which they say is always 2020, what what lessons have you taken away from that?
0: Well, I'm sure some of them are fading now, but I think the obvious priorities that one must establish, and uh, among those, of course, the first priority is your family, then your job, and particularly with your job, the broadening of your own talents within the job or beyond the job description, adding value to your role as well as helping with your associates. And your associates, of course, are a priority along with the company as well. And your community, your church, uh, industry associations, half of working life is spent just showing up. I've got to tell you, all of
1: those things you just mentioned in that short list were all things that I have components that I remember quite broadly about about you and your work. And as a father, you talked about your family, but you were also very active in the church. And I don't mean you just went every Sunday. You served on the diaconate and you served in... In, in major roles that were needed, you know, throughout the growth of that church. You were always active in community issues. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before. The role in the community and community support seems to have changed somewhat. Can you, can you tell me about how, how things got done in town back when you were, were there and active?
0: Well, from memory... We had nine Fortune 500 companies headquartered in Richmond, Virginia. And, of course, we had the collective corporate clout of those as it related to the community, the state, as well as some national issues. And all of us got to be friends in the course of it all. And you made judgment calls as to how much you could rely on each of these people and how they could contribute to a to the whole of what you all were trying to accomplish uh, that's, that, I sense that that whole formula is somewhat complicated these days made easier because of access to information with websites and, and the computers but in many aspects it's become more complicated and friendships may have diminished I don't know, I raise that question just as a point of consideration And obviously, it's more challenging to manage these things now, I think, than they were during my time. I think one thing that we've often talked about on this show is
1: the fact that organizations, for the sake of, you know, cutting expensive, have gotten flatter, which means less middle management, which means top management, at least, has to have somewhat, not totally, but somewhat more of a hands-on management style, which perhaps gave them less time to do the things or respond to the issues that you've talked about. Does that make sense, or am I off base? I think
0: it does. I think, too, that the overall encompassing ethics of the day-to-day business world today are not what we experienced. For example, I would be very comfortable spending a half a million dollars of the company's money on a handshake on a program of this or that. Uh, I'm told today with wide eyes from people who are long ago who replaced me, you just cannot do that in the present day, day to day business. I, I
1: agree. That is very different. Uh, even, even at the officer level and organizations I've been in, you know, I couldn't spend a buck uh, without many, many approvals being uh, run up the flagpole, as it were.
0: Well, fortunately, uh, in the reporting process of, of my companies, uh, the original uh, company as well as the holding company we subsequently formed, uh, I was fortunate that my reporting authority was the chief executive officer, which made life a lot easier all the way around because I didn't have uh, minions in the middle second-guessing the process. Yeah, yeah. And a CEO who was very sympathetic about the... The community relations demands on staff, uh, and he allowed most of us to take on those things on behalf of the company that we had a genuine interest in. And then those where that might not have been the case, they would have signed to other people seeking some level of interest. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So let me ask you this and this may be an unfair question, but see if you can wrestle it to the ground. I don't know you can. So as you look uh, back now, is there anything you regret not getting done? I don't mean not doing. I don't mean your bucket list, places you still want to go and like, but in in your corporate life is there is there anything you know you regret not getting done?
0: Uh, I can't hit you with one like that now, except uh, it's not really a fair question. It, I thought you may have it, something on the tip of your tongue. No, it, uh, it. If it was anything, it was I would like to have done it longer than the normal retirement age of sixty-five because there were things to do. At that, uh, this may be placating on the ego, but uh, nonetheless, there were some obvious things that you wanted to get done that a success I had to deal with, and you always looking <coughs> over your shoulder at them to see if they were doing it as well as you could do it well, or I have, you thought you could do it. Well, I would encourage you to not feel too bad about
1: that because just turn around and look at the things that you did do and you did get done, and you should feel quite, quite warm about that and quite deserving of the time you've uh, had to spend uh, down here in paradise
0: in your later years. Well, during the course of it all, though, there was a downside to it because particularly with the community relations and the industry relations, were trade associations, both at the national level and, uh, and locally, uh, it was time away from the family, which you asked me earlier about a regret. That would be the highest priority of it all.
1: Well, I think, you know, during the tough times, you were you were certainly there for us. We were certainly not, you know, doing stuff off the radar. We weren't going, oh, my gosh, I hope Dad doesn't find out about this. That, that, that was certainly not to take uh, at all. And uh, it was, you you really set a model for us of uh, of working hard. And I think all the three of us are all very different. And... Uh, my audience doesn't know my brother, and my sister yet, but we are, we are very different. But I think the work ethic is a common thread, and that is something you know. I think you can bow deeply over.
0: Well, I, I you know I can't take any sort of credit because it didn't evolve with any sense of direction in that regard. The whole the pieces just somehow came together uh, in what was a very satisfying way over the long term of the career. But uh, I feel so sorry for those people that didn't want to get up and go to work every day because I was able to function in a career that was the happiest days of my life in terms of the kind of work I was doing. And of course, uh, in the latter days, I acquired other duties that were not too attractive as additional duties. Uh, But you take uh, the less desirable with the good. And for the most part, uh, I was happy to get up every morning and go to work.
1: Yeah, the people that can't quite put their feet on the floor in the morning are in a tough, tough place. And you made a lot of friends, some of them lasting till till today. And, And I know a lot of those people,
0: and they are among the finest. Well, the emails still come from around the country and some around the world from the one of the trade associations was international in scope. And I hear still, still hear from some of those people, most of them obviously retired and contemporaries of mine. I wouldn't know the last name of, of probably a member today, but the sense of those days is still uh, very much with me. Well done. Dad, thanks for carving out some time
1: today, even though you're retired here now. Thanks for letting me pull you away from whatever you're working on. I can't, uh, as I sit here now, thanks for agreeing to go on the air with me and all that you have done for me personally, not just as a father, but as a counsel over the years. I can't thank you enough. I love you, Dad. Happy Father's Day. It was lots of fun. Surf's up. Surf's up. Let's get out of here.
0: Thanks for listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast for the sake of all the special people in your life that deserve you to be the best leader you can be. Connect with us on our website at labradorleadership.com, on Facebook at Labrador Leadership, and on Twitter at Lab Leadership. Now, here's a final thought from Bob.
1: Thank you all very much for listening to this episode. Thank you very much to my dad for coming on the program. It's Father's Day weekend. Remember your father today. If your father's still here, make sure you reach out to him and say, hey, we'll be back next week. out will be back. Everybody take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.